Well, good morning, church. <clears throat> Merry Christmas to you all. How are we doing this morning? <clears throat> epic. I love that, Jack. That's wonderful. <laughs> we all need to be epic in the Lord. Uh, we welcome you here this morning to Harvest. We have a candlelight communion service on the 24th. Um, just encourage you to come out for that. But I want to personally thank Jeff Burgess. Oh, Jeff, where are you? He's usually out. He's in the back there. He is our head usher. Let's give him a hand. We so appreciate him. And his wonderful wife, Cindy. They minister back there. Stuff happens up here, but they're ministering back there, and they're just facilitating the service, and we're so blessed by that. Then also the men that pulled together the men's gathering. You know, it was really neat to see all these guys have fun on Friday night. We just laughed. We really did. Uh, the food was, the food, most of the food was good. The, uh, but actually, Eric, Eric is here. Eric made a venison meatball. And I, I said, in honor of you, I will eat a venison meatball. I don't like venison. And I'm telling you, I thought he deceived me. I thought, I said, this is not venison. It was so delicious. So this guy's a great cook, Eric. So let's give a hand to the men, Jack, Joey, uh, Eric, and, and, and those of it, you know, who else you involved. We had a great time, and we just laughed. And, and so I want to encourage you men to come out to it. And be like, oh, I don't know. What are they going to be doing? And we just had fun. We ate and we had fun. And, and Chad Norton shared a, a testimony about his life, and it was just very powerful how God spared him through many things, and you get to know each other, and so thank you for, for doing that. Uh, one also final announcement, tomorrow's the last day for the Toys for Kids, Toys for Tots. Uh, you see these boxes throughout the community. We do it here, part of the Marine Corps League. Thank you for your generosity. Uh, that will be being picked up uh, tomorrow uh, for, for those of you uh, still interested in dropping off toys. So with that, let's take a moment and pray and ask for God's blessing as we begin to share the Word of God this morning. Father, I do humble myself before you and do recognize that in and of myself I have nothing good to say, but through the power of the Holy Spirit that is here, God the Holy Spirit is here. Lord, I ask that you speak through me. Give to your people what they need here today, <clears throat> words of insight, wisdom. Challenge us, Lord. Uh, teach us, Holy Spirit. You are the teacher <clears throat> we receive from you. And Lord, I just give you all glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. I want to just share uh, briefly, a little bit maybe hard to see that slide, uh, but just a still on a verse in James 5.13. We're in the Christmas season, and uh, you hear the term, uh, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, and I'm not going to do a deep dive in that, but just touch on it. But I want to talk to you. Uh, my text is James 5.13. It says, is any merry among you, let him sing psalms or praise. It's the second half of the verse. And I've been thinking about that, and I'm thinking about the season, I'm thinking about in life. And uh, actually, the definition of merry is actually kind of almost shocking because uh, it's, it's like you don't really meet a lot of people that fit this definition in this day and age. But uh, <clears throat> I want to talk to you about the importance and the power of praise, how Satan is out to steal praise in your life. Because if he can steal praise out of your lips, he can defeat you. Are you here this morning? And that's what his goal, his goal is to defeat you. 
He doesn't have to defeat you in a hundred different areas, just very few, few areas. If he can steal the praise off of your lips, you will walk defeated. Am I speaking to anybody here this morning? I've known him. And so, so now at the end of the service, uh, I have a, an old gospel song, and this is what I've been feeding on. Now, it's going to date me. Uh, how many of you ever been to a tent revival? Okay. <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about. The rest of you go, a tent, who? Uh, and they used to have these back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s even. Uh, they would travel the country, these tent ministers, and they would have these uh, gospel crusades. And I'm telling you, some of them were the wildest things on earth to be a part of. But I mean, God was there in many of them, and he moved in. And there was worship that was so freeing. Now it's dated. So there's, there's some worship I've been... Uh, some praise, I should say, that I, I've listened to, and I know it's going to date me, but we have some words for that at the end of the service. It's only two minutes, but we're going to kind of go out with a, how about we leave the service with a praise on a joyful note? Is that okay? So be anticipating that, and they know how to cue all that up. But, but when we hear the term Merry Christmas, Merry actually means joyful, cheerful, happy. And it was actually a term that came from Christ's mass back around 4 AD. Millions of believers gathered together for a uh, honoring the birth of Christ for a mass, and they used to call it Christ Mass, and it was actually shortened to Christmas. And, and there's numerous, as I started to dig into it, uh, recordings about how did Merry Christmas come about, and here's just a few of them. Charles Dickens, uh, uh, in his Christmas Carol that was published in 1843, uh, it had the phrase Merry Christmas 21 times in the book. Uh, that was kind of a first. Another one was in 1534, uh, John Fisher, who was an English Catholic bishop, wrote uh, a Christmas letter to Thomas Cromwell, and he says, "In this, our Lord God send you a Merry Christmas and a comfortable and comfort to your heart's desire." And and so we have these terms throughout uh, history about where we get Merry Christmas. And so my text, James five thirteen, James says, the second half of it, he said, "Is any merry among you? Let him sing." And I look at that, it's like, well, if I'm not merry, then, you know, so why do I not sing? Well, actually, uh, the Amplified, if you read the first part of the, of the verse, it says, any among you suffering, let him pray. Now, without a show of hands today, is any among you suffering today? <laughs> actually, it means in trouble, suffering hardship, afflicted. Is any sad? They must pray. Think about that. We are to pray in times of affliction. Sometimes, I don't know how to say this, in times of affliction, God is maybe encouraging us that you need to pray. I know it's a deep, deep revelation right there. You can write that down. <laughs> that was really deep, but uh, <clears throat> pray in times of affliction. So he gives us direction what we are to be doing. <clears throat> you know, I think of this about every sub subsequent generation if you read and study about it, whether it's a 1000 AD or the 1500s in the Inquisition or, you know, just even back in the, in the early of the 1900s or the 1950s, it was the worst of times. Just read history. It was like all hell has been unleashed. It was the most wicked time ever, and Christ is coming soon, any moment. Well, here we are today. <laughs> Amen. And so we always view 
you know, that the, what we're going through, it, it's got to be the most difficult. Yeah, but times are, it was never like this before. And granted, yes, there are some wicked, wicked things the enemy has unleashed on our nation, in our schools, uh, in our country, and globally, and, and all of that. But without getting into all of that, <clears throat> the Scripture gives us a pattern on how we are to respond in these times and seasons. To pray means to interact with the Lord. It means, watch this, switching human wishes, ideas, desires, for his, God's wishes, as he imparts faith or divine persuasion. I want you to get that. So when you pray, you receive God's divine persuasion for your life. Wow. I mean, it's simple, but it's true. Because why? We have our human persuasion. We have our human, what we feel we need. But when we pray, we cry out to the Lord, and we seek him. Times of afflictions are proper times for prayer. Psalm 50, 15, the Bible says, call on me in the day of trouble. And the Lord says, I will rescue you, and you shall honor and glorify me. How are we going to honor and glorify the Lord? Prayer honors and glorifies God. So you say, I'm not doing well. Okay, here's the antidote. Pray. Call out to the Lord. You feel afflicted. I know it's not deep, but it's scriptural. It's, it's what we need. And then it goes on. The second part, what I really want to focus on, is anyone merry? And so let me just define it before you go, yeah, that's me this morning. <laughs> Joyful, cheerful, happy, good spirits, there to sing praises to God. And usually what happens, we come into the church service after a week of whatever, lions and bears and everything else attacking you, and you crawl into the church and you go, and then Caitlin's up there singing with all her heart and, you know, all the other worship team, and, and you're just thinking, oh, I just made it in today. <laughs> and what's, what we're trying to do, we're trying to get you to take your focus off yourself and your problems present, not diminishing them, but lift up your head, lift high to know the answer is not within, but it's, come on, somebody. It's not within, that, that, that as you take your eyes off yourself and you look unto the Lord, that's where he infuses strength and you begin to have heaven's divine perspective of your circumstance. Somebody say amen. <clears throat> so now is anyone getting a little bit more merry here this morning? Actually, Mary in the Greek, and we'll have a couple of definitions throughout this message here, but it means a state of mind free from trouble. <laughs> Boy, it would be nice to walk 24-7 Mary. It's the opposite of affliction, to have the mind well. <clears throat> so why is praise so powerful in your life? Why is it? I'm going to do a little bit of background, a little history here to understand the importance in our role, too, that the Lord has on a grand scale throughout eternity for you and I. Uh, you have to actually go back in the Old Testament. There's a couple of verses in Ezekiel 28 uh, <clears throat> and then in Isaiah, but I'm just going to touch on it and just paraphrase a little bit in the Old Testament Scripture. It gives us a glimpse of the importance of praise in God's kingdom before we were all created. <clears throat> Lucifer, <clears throat> excuse me, his name originally means star of the morning. Now, <clears throat> when we say the name Lucifer, we think of something evil. But at that time, before the fall, Lucifer was something adored in praise. It'd be like someone with tremendous beauty. 
this guy, and it's, it's the way he was created, and that's how the scripture talks about it, that he was someone that was adorned, <clears throat> and it was like Lucifer's here. Wow. <clears throat> it wasn't something negative connotation to him. He was called the morning star, but he fell, and he became Satan, the accuser, or the slanderer, and so his name is in his nature now. His nature was changed, so he's the adversary. He's the prince of the power of the air, the Bible says in Ephesians 2.2. So a little bit of background, you can find some bits, you can find some insight about his role in the kingdom of God in heaven with praise. And it's quite interesting, Ezekiel 28, verses 12 to 17. Lucifer uh, was not satisfied with worshiping God. Instead, he wanted to be worshiped. Now, it brings up a whole theological debate about <clears throat> where evil originated and all of that. Now, I'm <clears throat> not going to do a deep dive, but just touch on it briefly, but you could dig it in. You can find answers. The Bible says he was cast down to earth. Jesus said in Luke 10, 18, he said, Jesus said, uh, <clears throat> he said, he said to his disciples, then I saw Satan fall like lightning. When this rebellion was found within him, it wasn't this slow, all right, Satan, Lucifer, pack your stuff. I want you to get out of heaven. He kind of left in the huff, whatever. It said like lightning, he came to earth. It was dealt with. That quick, you're out. And now watch this. His role in heaven was to reflect the glory of God. There were seraphims and there were cherubims. We'll talk about that in a moment, but he was a cherubim. Very high-ranking Beautiful angel. And his role was to, as they worshiped the host of heaven, he would reflect the host back to God. Now watch this, watch this. He would reflect it, the glory of God, back to the Lord. He was given a position of great power and influence as a cherubim angel. And once again, we could say that they were second in hierarchy, if I could use that term, uh, to the seraphim angels. Now, let me just talk quickly about seraphim. And I hope I'm not boring you. Seraphim means to burn with fire. To burn with fire. Some biblical scholars believe there was a hierarchy that exists among angels through the scriptures, but, but it doesn't really doesn't say that explicitly. But the theory is this. The closer, watch this, to the throne of God an angel serves, the higher that angel ranks. You can kind of deduct that. So if that's the case, the seraphim angels are among the top ranking angels that we know of, that we know of. And so what are seraphim? Seraphim are supernatural beings who were created by God, watch this, to serve and to worship. And there's some characteristics I'm going to touch on here. They had six wings. A little strange. I think when we get to heaven, we're going to see some strange things, some shocking things. Six-winged angelic creatures, and they continually attend to God at his throne. Now, they're created. Now, each set of the seraphims, which we deduct is one of the highest-ranking angels in the kingdom, their wings serve different purposes. And uh, the scriptures talk about this. One set of the wings cover the face of those angels. I thought, well, why is that? It signifies reverence and awe and acts as protection from the radiance of God's glory. So even though they were created... Like, number one, as angels, they still had wings that covered their eyes because the glory of God was so magnificent. Second set of wings. What were they used for? Flying. So those of you who thought, someday I'm going to be like Iron Man, yes, that's in your future. You'll be able to fly 
even without little bitty wings, but he would be able to. And so they, they would, why? Because they would be swift to the servitude of whatever God wanted they could go to. Now watch this. The third set is used to cover the seraphim's feet. Why is that? And so they say that they can humbly conceal their unworthiness while in God's holy presence. This is all in Isaiah 6-2. So they would come cover their feet and their eyes because they're before the throne, the glory of God. I can't comprehend all that. But I just read about it and I go, our God is an awesome, mighty God. Almighty. Now, we can deduct second in authority of these cherubims. And the cherubim is first mentioned in Genesis 3, 24, where man was driven after he's fallen, driven out of the garden. God places cherubim angels to guard the tree of life with a sword. They would keep going back and forth that no one could touch that tree of life because in that state, if they would eat of that, there would be never any redemption and man would be forever doomed. And so God places angels there and they were cherubims. Um, they are God's, uh, uh, they would guard God's glory both on earth, one commentator says, and by his throne in heaven. And here's also something interesting about cherubim now. We're not talking about seraphim, but cherubim angels which surrounded God's throne also. They would help people grow spiritually, watch this, by delivering God's mercy to them. Anybody need mercy today? Uh, These cherubim angels would bring mercy to God's people and then motivate them to pursue more holiness in their lives. So when you fall and you stumble, come on somebody, the thing that's inside you is not within you, something good, it's God's presence, it's his angels encourage you to pursue holiness. Pursue, it's okay. You stumbled, you fell, you messed up. I'm gonna wash you, I'm gonna cleanse you. Come on, somebody, I'm gonna restore you back, but I want you to continue on. That's the presence of God, and that's the importance of praise in our life. And so, Lucifer became so proud because of his incredible beauty, the Bible says. He allowed his perfection to be the cause of his corruption. In other words, now watch this, I'm gonna go somewhere with this. He thought to himself, I don't like how you're running this kingdom of yours, God. So I'm going to sow seeds of discord with other angels, and I'm going to take over. That, that was the devil. And so Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 15, says we see that pride, somebody show pride. Pride is the first sin committed in the universe. Let's say that again. Not adultery, not fornication, not, not lust, no. Pride was the first sin committed in the that we know of in the heavenly kingdom. Pride. Here's what's staggering. This is staggering. With no sin, we're, talking, we're, we're not talking about earth here. We're talking about in heaven. We have a glimpse of the past if we understand and we're interpreting Scripture correctly that the follow-on Lucifer, that in, in his role that he was. Here's what's staggering. He convinced one-third. Now, if I have 12 eggs, what's a third of 12 eggs? Come on, yes. You math Rubik's Cube geniuses in here, I still can't even do three rows on the Rubik's Cube. Some of you can do it without looking, you know. <laughs> One third. So I don't know how many billions, trillions, millions. I don't know how many answers are, but one third is a lot of something in the heavenly host. He went through and sowed seeds of discord, and one-third of the angels in heaven left and went with him and believed him. 
before any sin, before the cross, before Adam, before the garden, before anything, as far as we know. That's why Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. How many still with me say amen? See, God understands power grabs in his kingdom. Amen. Proverbs 16, 18 said, pride goes before destruction and the fall. So now Lucifer, as I said earlier, was not always the devil. He was one of these anointed cherub of praise. And actually, cherub also in Hebrew means to bless. Someone shout to bless. To bless. Now watch this. Uh, angelic beings. <clears throat> they were involved in the worship and the praise of God. And so the primary role, you could say it was, of the praise and worship of God and bring glory back to God. But once again, he rebelled. He was cast out of heaven. And, and, and one commentator says, and this is, I know I've repeated this, but cherubim, they serve the purpose of magnifying his holiness and his power, the power of God. That is their main responsibility is to reflect and give praise to the Lord. So we see that God did not make the devil the devil. Just want to throw that out there. The Bible says that iniquity was found within him, which tells me it implies that these angels had a free will in heaven. They had the power of choice, right? That, that's how I look at a free will, to choose to follow God or not. Because a third left and went with Lucifer. So they had a choice. Friends, you still have a choice. See, some of you may know I am not a Calvinist. <laughs> I believe you have a choice. I don't believe God selected half of you to go to hell, no matter what you do. And the other half, you go to heaven because you're the elect. God desires that all men and women might be saved. He cares about every nation. He cares about all people, okay? And so you get caught up in certain doctrines and teaching, and they can really mess you up because they get you down rabbit holes that God did not intend. And I don't believe this. it's the scriptural interpretation of the character and nature of God. I mean, because you have to define what love is. Love is sacrifice, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Are you still with me this morning? I'm going somewhere. And so that was just staggering what Satan accomplished, but he was cast down. He was cast down uh, in creation in Genesis 1, 31 and 2, 1. Everything he had made, and behold, the Bible says about the Lord that everything he had and he made, it was good. So everything that God created was good. Sin entered the cosmos due to an act of rebellion against God, not because God created sin. Are you still with me? 1 John 3, 4 states that sin is lawlessness. Sin is any violation of God's laws or standards. And so once again, we see in Ezekiel 28 states the first sin in the universe was found with Lucifer, and it was the sin of pride, pride. And so the Lord said this, and he said, he writes about him in Ezekiel 28. He says uh, in verse 15, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. Satan was created, Lucifer, as a cherubim. But he was blameless the day he was created until unrighteousness was found within you. What is the point? The point I'm trying to make with all of this, we see that Lucifer as a cherubim had a role. His role was to reflect the praise and the worship of God. Why does Lucifer want to silence you in your praise? Here's why. Because we take his place in heaven. You and I are called to be those that reflect the worship and praise of God on earth, and he hates that. 
That is such a high place that God has placed on you and I. Doesn't seem it. Right now on earth, seems like, like we feel like a little ant crawling around like nobody. And God says, no, I've made you in my image, in my likeness, and I have a magnificent plan for you. But also here on earth, but in heaven. Wow. We take his place in his position. How so? By reflecting and praising and worshiping in God. Because Satan knows that the power of praise and worship causes him to leave. He can't stand the atmosphere. He doesn't like that. So the question is, will you continue to release the power of praise and worship in your life? Or will you allow the enemy to silence that? Silence that when you're hurting. Why? Because Satan and his demons, they know. They flee before the spiritual singing of God's people. That's why you can come into a church service and not feel really feeling it. And yes, you can leave the same way if you allow those thoughts to take control of your mind. But if you enter in and you say, you know what, I'm going to put on this garment of praise. I'm going to worship God. I may not feel like it, but I'm going to stir up inside of me, whatever. Something will happen. What happens is, is that you begin to have heaven's perspective of your situation. A lightness comes upon you. Come on, somebody. And you leave joyful. You don't even know why. Every Sunday, God does that for you and blesses you. And you wonder, wow, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. It was good to, amen? What's happening? Your perspective is changing. Very quickly, a few thoughts on praise. We are saved. When we are saved, we receive a new nature. In that new nature, there is a satisfaction with the Lord and in life. Now, let me paraphrase that. Some say, what do you mean, Pastor Mike? When you're born again, the part of you that is born again, how I remember the series I did on spirit, soul, and body? I had the three little boxes. And I spent probably three months on that, talking about how our spirit, man or woman, is what is born again. But I talked about that our soul, somebody shout soul, mind, will, and emotions, and body, physical body. How many know if our spirit is outside of our body, our body is just dead? It's just a corpse. It's the spirit that brings life. And so the spirit, man or woman, is what is born again when you receive Christ. At, at the end of each service, I always lead us into a prayer. What am I doing? Why am I doing that? Why? Because you have to confess. You have to receive Christ into your spirit. You have to ask him to be Lord of your life. It's not just mental assent. You're inviting God to be God and king in your life. Amen? That's what you're doing. And then your spirit becomes renewed. But how many know that you could be born again, filled with the spirit, you're saved, and still have wicked thoughts? Am I speaking to anybody? You still be tempted. The flesh is still it's out of control. I shouldn't eat that. I shouldn't eat that. Now I'm speaking to y'all. <laughs> Just had to find out the right word this morning. Now I'm speaking to y'all. It's just out of control. Flesh is out. My flesh can be out of control. Every single one of you. That's why we have to allow the spirit to have ascendancy. We mess up. We screw up. Whatever. We draw near to God. How we, we praise. We're going to worship him. Listen, when you mess it and you blow up and you screw up really bad, begin to praise God. Just because, oh, Lord, forgive me, wash me, cleanse. Lord, I worship you. Lord, I thank you that you're creating me a clean heart, oh, Lord. You're renewing a right spirit. Lord, I'm not cast away from your presence. Lord, I just thank you that you're restoring the joy of my salvation. That's what you do. You don't put leaves on like Adam and Eve and run and hide. And the Lord goes, where are you? Where, where? Hey, Adam, he knew where they were at. But it's a spiritual picture for us all. We run and hide because we somehow think as believers God is mad at us ticked off. He knows our frame. He knows us. 
and he is working. And so there are those angels there helping us to draw us near to the Lord. How many see that say amen? And so, so, um, and so what happens is you receive that new nature. You, it, that favors what's doing right. It, it's the desire, like Lynn shared, about wanting you to read the word of God and operate in faith. Those, 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 that voice, that desire can become louder in your life or quieter, depending on who you feed. Amen? If you feed it, it'll grow. If you starve it, it'll die. That works both ways. So uh, I talked about that. So that's a new nature. The second thing I would say is we were, we were raised to praise God. He has chosen us for a specific purpose, and that, I believe, is also God is going to use humanity, his sons, his daughters, to show Satan, like, this is what praise is all about. You, this, I'm going to show you Lucifer. He's going to drag him before all the worlds and the nations. He's going to show, look at my people. They're there to praise what you rebelled, my people will worship and praise me. Amen. And then thirdly, you've been set free to sing. Um, we were justified to glorify God. And so we need to use our body and our soul to praise the Lord. How many know the hands that used to hold cigarettes or smoke weed or lips that used to vape and the mouth that used to cuss now, we are saved to give them praise now. Amen. All right, there's a change. God's church must remain powerful in praise. And, and praising God is not really an option, especially in this day and age. It's a necessity. Did you hear that? It's a necessity. Parents, grandparents, you need to teach your children to praise the Lord. I watched a little, a little baby in the back seat of a, it was some little clipping or something on, I can't remember if it's Facebook or one of them, and, and the mom had a praise song on, and the baby was like maybe, I don't know, 15, 16 months away. I was just sitting there and the baby singing the song exactly what needs to be spoken during the lyrics because the baby has heard that song a long time. See, that's what you got to be having and not some country and western twang where your kids are being hauled somewhere. Have praise on. Have fun praise songs on. Get them to sing that because in a time of desperation when they're 35 years old, come on, somebody, or when they're 42 years old and they think of ending their life, that song could come and change their life. I'm talking truth. That's the truth because there's many a testimony of people that they cried out in desperation and songs would come to them. And they would begin to weep and draw near to God and God would draw them closer to him. How many with me say amen? See, if, we, if you don't want lukewarm kids or grandkids, you got to do something about it, okay? Refuse, let's refuse to be people that used to praise the Lord, right? Um, and here's the thing. If you cease to worship, we are soliciting praise really to ourselves. is what we're doing. I read this statement one time. It says, you're, one, one, this statement once before that you're never more diabolic than when you refuse to praise God and give him glory. Mm. That speaks to me. Very quickly, three things that happen when you refuse to, you refuse to worship or give praise. Uh, or, you know, Satan, he gets you into uh, a real defeated state. That's what he wants. Number one, you obviously, you get down. You get in a valley. And uh, if you're in a valley, we have to learn. Somebody shout learn. To learn, to train ourselves to praise your way out of that. To praise your way out of that. And so sometimes I'll just stick on on the laptop of whatever I'm in the house, cleaning up something, helping, or doing something, whatever. I have my old gospel hymns that I know Rhonda goes, oh, wow, what is this? You'll hear it, one of them at the end of the service, and that's what it's, it's bringing praise in my soul. 
It's lifting my soul. I need it. We all need it. Amen? And the answer isn't just, oh, help me, you know, my friends in Facebook or Google or search something to make you laugh. No, it's praising the Lord, putting our focus back on him. Can I get an amen? And if you don't, when you refuse to praise, you get bound. If you don't praise the Lord, you become something that you don't want to be, and then you return to the things that God has set you free from. Amen. That's all I'm going to say about that, because right there, that was a whole message. And thirdly, you encourage someone else not to worship. When you're in that state, if you stop praising the Lord, someone else will follow you because you may have been their example in their life. They're like, well, this must be the way we act. Friends, we are saved for a purpose, and it's to praise the Lord. Can you say amen? And so this body that, that, that used to sin, uh, we, we want to praise the Lord instead and allow the Spirit of God. Even though you stumble, even though you fall, even though you have weakness, we need to learn to get back up, to praise the Lord despite the circumstances and watch what God can do through the power of praise in your life. Stand with me if you would, please. In conclusion here in Luke chapter 1, and if they could pull up those, I think Caitlin put lyrics, it's very, it's four simple little, uh, uh, well, I don't know if they can see that. They have to remove maybe that background on that. <clears throat> I don't know if you can see that, but it, it's four simple verses, all right? And we're just going to go out with a shout. Is that all right? Is, is that all right? I mean, we'll have the altar workers up here, but we just want a spirit of praise and joy that you leave here this morning. But let me just kind of conclude with this. In Luke chapter 1, verse 37, the Bible says the angel Gabriel, we know the story, was sent to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And he stated, he said, you're going to have a son. You shall call his name Jesus, Savior. He will save his people. Now, Mary asked a very legitimate question without getting too deep here this morning, how shall this be? I haven't been with a man. I'm not married. And he says, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost shall come upon you, and the power of the highest cell shall overshadow you. Watch this. Now, notice in verse 37, it says this. It says that Gabriel says, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. But another translation says this. Watch this. It says, in other words, no word from God shall be void of power. I'm going to say that again. No word from God shall be void of power. No word from God shall be void of power. No word from God shall be void of power. No word from God to you shall be void of power. No word. God said it's going to happen. No word from God shall be void of power for your life. Somebody say amen. That's something to praise the Lord about. Amen. I'm going to pray a prayer here of salvation, and then we're going to just end in worship. And every head bowed here this morning. You're here this morning and say, Pastor, praise is not even in my life. <laughs> I'm not even certain I'm born again. I'm just, maybe you showed up as a guest here this morning and checking out the church you're visiting, and you're like, I do not have this assurance you're talking about. I mean, I hope I make it to heaven. I hope I do, but... You don't have the assurance. The Bible says these things are written that you may know you have eternal life. God wants you to know. How do you know? It isn't by religious duty. It isn't by, you know, faithful church attendance. That's important. That's vital in our life. It isn't because you serve on a certain team or whatever. Those things are all very important. Those are vital in our spiritual growth. I believe that. No, 
you know that you're born again is because you actually had a moment in time in your life where you repented and you invited Christ to be Lord of your life. And we're going to do that right now. You say, Pastor, I've never really done that. I mean, I grew up and I was maybe sprinkled as a kid or had some baptismal liturgical thing, but it doesn't mean nothing to me today. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. He's asking, he's pleading, his arms are open wide. He's saying, will you, will you receive me in your life? And I will come and I will dwell and I will make habitation in your spirit, man or woman. And I will fill you with my presence. I will help you with your shortcomings. I will help you when you mess up, when you stumble, when you fall. I'll have forgiveness for you as you draw near to me, as you repent. You will be born again. That's you here this morning. Let us pray in unison. Say this with me. Say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for filling me with your Holy Spirit. I will serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.